Day two at the Melbourne Cricket Ground brought forth sweltering conditions, but nothing was going to stand in the way of David Warner on his road to redemption, battling the heat for some six hours en route to a magnificent double century, his third occasion passing the 200 mark in Test Match Cricket. 36-year-old would retire Hurt moments after bringing up the double ton with an edge through slips, the first of two retired Hurts on a wild day, which ended with the Aussies at three for 386, a first innings lead of 197 with seven wickets in hand. Yes, this is uh, another episode of the Cricket Central podcast. My name is Vaship, filling in in the host chair for Teddy Wynn Jarvis, and I'm joined by Ethan Prabhaharan. And Prabs, David Warner, undoubtedly the story of day two, silencing his doubters, um, with just one innings after months of scrutiny over his performance and his place in the side, uh, scrutiny that um, there's no doubt had only ramped up in uh, recent times. Yeah, it was quite the innings, really. Normally when someone gets to even the 100 mark, they've often offered up a couple of chances, if not been dropped. But it was pretty much chances right the way through. I think there were periods where we saw a little bit of struggle, particularly against Norkea periods of premeditation and you're a little bit worried particularly in the high 180s and 190s but overall a very complete innings and I think South Africa missed a trick with their bowling to him but he he's mentioned before that he would bring a bit more of an aggressive intent intent and we we saw that with a flurry of 16 boundaries and a couple of sixes as well so a strike rate of 79 across the 250 balls is very impressive, and especially considering his past run of form, this was the innings that he really needed just to establish himself again at that top level. Oh, yeah, no doubt. It was all the question. Even going back to um, the Ashes Series in 2019 in England, he failed. He had that massive 335 uh, not out against uh, Pakistan. He had another ton. That was his first ton um, since uh, New Year's Test 2020 against New Zealand at the SCG. Uh, for what it's worth, his 25th hundred um, in Test match cricket, a fine effort. Third at the G, fourth against South Africa. First 200 at the MCG for an Australian since Ricky Ponting 19 years ago. And the second player to score a double ton in his 100th test, Joe Root, did it just a year ago. But as you say, um, suddenly, you know, you'd be a fool to talk. I mean, I'm sure there are still the haters out there who are finding some reason to dismiss this innings. But after what we saw today, um, there's no doubt that um, you know, as long as probably he wants to keep playing, at least in the immediate future, he'll be selected. Um, there, were, there were some that were saying he shouldn't even uh, retain his spot after the last test match. I know my bold prediction entering the series was that he wouldn't score above 40. So I'm going to take that as that was just the inspiration he needed um, to get a big score. Uh, you mentioned perhaps that um, for the most part, or really at all, there weren't many chances that you see in such a beginnings. The one major chance in early development of the day's play uh, instead claimed um, the wicket of, of Manus Labuschagne. Uh, it was a mixed out, uh, a mix-up. Excuse me, a calamitous uh, mix-up early in the day. Um, ultimately, Labuschagne run out. Um, war, really, Warner's fault. Um, I think you'd have to say um, they, they got a single off Warner. Um, Captain Dean Elgar throws it in, misses the stumps. Warner's really keen, going for that second, running back towards um, the keeper's end. By the time Labuschagne sees him, it's probably too late. There's a bit of hesitation. Uh, in the middle of the wicket, perhaps. And ultimately, Labuschagne decides to sacrifice him. You wonder if there was in the back of his mind there, this is Warner's moment, this is his 100th test, or maybe it's just Labuschagne as a selfless individual. He's run out quite comfortably um, at the bowler's end. He trudges off for another low score. Um, but yeah, ultimately, perhaps um, Warner's out there. What do you think? Do you think Manus has that in the back of his head or that's just all instinct at that point? Yeah, I think it's probably instinct in the in the split, the split second that that decision was made. But... There, you're right, there certainly is a case to be made that 
perhaps Manus has the second most important innings of the day because had he chosen to stay in his crease and Devon Warner got run out, perhaps the game could have looked a little bit different. Um, but you're right, it was it was a, a tricky, tricky scenario really where you've got two batsmen who pride themselves on fast running between the wickets and challenging the field a little bit and quite a unique scenario where, I mean, there's clearly a single if Manus doesn't overrun the crease, but it's it's a tight call at one end, he overruns it. And really by the time David Warner's made the crease coming back for the second, Manus has barely left it. Um, and there was that slight stutter there, which if you look at the margin by which Manus was run out, if he did just fully go for it, which is quite hard to do, there's, there's a case to be made that he, he might have even been safe, but you're right. It, it, the blame probably does reside with Warner. And I think that that was an instinctive move by Manus in the, the split split moment. Uh, you're right. It was very, very selfless. And it, it's quite, you know, a fitting gesture now that in Devon Warner's 100th test, he was given the opportunity and went on to make a big score. But I think, yeah, that definitely plays into the emotion. And credit to Warner, you often see batsmen following a run out struggle a little bit um, to keep mental clarity, but that didn't really seem to stop him. Yeah, Warner had his, his mind focused on bigger things, I think it's fair to say, but there's no doubt he'll be owing um, Labuschagne a, a, a case of beer or, or a nice bottle of wine or whatever it is they do these days. Um, yeah, could have just as easily been Warner trudging off for 47 um, at that moment instead of Labuschagne um, for uh, 14. And uh, got to mention it, Pearson Lynch's bold prediction from over there in, in Wyoming coming into this test was that, uh, coming to this series rather, was that Labuschagne would fail badly and... Um, I guess you'd have to say, based on the evidence we've seen, it was rough today. That's been that's been true. So we hope for for a big score from Manus coming up uh, in the in the New Year's Day test. You mentioned um, running between the wickets. There's a lot of talk on the broadcast. Warner's fit. This heat, the South Africans, if they're not they're not to it, they might wilt. Whereas Warner, you know, he's fit. He may be 36, but he can bat through the day. And I thought it was rather ironic that he did uh, ultimately retire hurt, um, and it wasn't even running between the wickets. So it wasn't even, you know, um, you didn't cop a ball anywhere it was that uh, after edging through slips uh, bring up the double ton his trademark um oh what a feeling jump up in the air uh you can see as soon as he went oh it's that sort of that, that facial expression immediately on the grab um for the groin that you knew he's done something um and that is a bit of a kerfuffle trainers come out towel over the head and uh, and ultimately he retires hurt um you know, remains to be seen whether or not he's required again, not just in this innings, but in the test match. There's no doubt Australia don't want to have to bat again in this game. But, um, uh, you know, ultimately another dominant day for the Aussies um, in the heat. Mentioned 25th test ton um, for Smith, uh, excuse me, for Warner. Um, that is enough to put him eighth all time in the Australian test match um, list. The man fourth on the list who I just mentioned, Stephen Smith will be disappointed that he didn't add to his total of 29 test tons today, departing for 85, carving um, a short wide delivery from Unric Nokia straight to De Bruyne at, De Bruyne at Gully. Um, it was a bit uncharacteristic, well, I say uncharacteristic, perhaps, but I think it shocked people really. It just seemed like he was going to waltz to another ton um, and then brought all done by, you could say, a lazy shot. Yeah, it was... It was, I think, the, what, the first ball back after that extended break. Uh, there was a tea break in which both Warner and Smith had the the chairs out um, and getting their hydration in. But oh, it was a drinks break, sorry. And yeah, that just that first ball back, a, a potential lapse in concentration, a, a very leaveable ball. But I mean, that shot was probably on as well. And if it were 
that ball at a different time that's probably going for four. But it's quite quite an unusual mode of dismissal, really, to almost edge it off the outside and bottom of the bat, off an upper cut to gully. And it, it all seemed very anticlimactic. I think the run rate was up in the fives and sixes. Warner and Smith were building on a partnership like the Warner and Smith of old. And the game was really progressing in Australia's favour. And all of a sudden, it was a just a lapse in concentration, as you say, pretty much picked out Gully perfectly. And he was off. And then after Warner departed, Australia quickly found themselves with two new batsmen at the crease. But it, it was an innings of, of good tempo from Smith. I think at different periods, he, he was found, found struggling against a South African attack who can be cagey at times, but there were also moments of great fluency and particularly some of those covered drives where he really got his foot and hands through the ball and the stroke play that we saw from Smith was was certainly brilliant to watch. So good signs from from him as well, um, particularly after a couple of uh, rough periods in that innings. Yeah, absolutely. The focus is always going to be on Warner um, with innings like that, but uh, certainly some lovely cricket. I mean, cricket shots we've just come uh, to be accustomed with with uh, Stephen Smith at the crease. Um, so yes, the dismissal. Labuschagne early in the day. Um, Smith um, caught at gully, um, tiring hurt Warner, and then Cam Green was the other person. Well, not to go to retire hurt um, an injury to the finger. He went. Uh, he's retired uh, hurt for six off twenty. Travis Head came out um, and again playing this sort of proactive, um, uh, wanting to score role. He's forty eight unbeaten at a runner ball at the moment, Travis. But again, in the middle order, we've seen it now multiple times this this summer. Um, really embracing that role of coming out. And it's, it's usually been the case the team's already had quite a lot of runs on the board when he comes out, and not always, but usually, and he comes out and he's aggressive and he's looking to score. Uh, and it's worked from again here, 40 out, not out, and, and a chance to go and hit triple figures again um, early next tomorrow morning. Yeah, I think there are certain batsmen who probably love coming in at about three for 300, and there are certain batsmen who hate it. I think Travis Head is one who excels in such a scenario. And, and I think... It was almost uh, surprising to us all that during the coverage today it was real that South Africa don't have a a analyst to almost measure or discover certain plans of attack against these batsmen. And it was almost ironic that what the seven broadcast team conjured up was, if anything, probably the best things the South Africans w- would be exposed to. So if they were watching the the, the coverage. Um, that well, they would know that he's got a little bit of a weakness in that armpit region on against short pitch bowling. But we all know with Travis Head that he's very, very strong, wide outside the off stump. And I think South Africa bowled exceptionally poorly to Warner early on, and they bowled exceptionally poorly to Head early on as well. He was allowed to develop this high strike rate innings with loose bowling outside the off stump. I think Rabada coming on just as he was really getting into the groove, didn't help things either with Rabada's sort of erratic bowling style that we've seen this innings. Um, but in to his credit, he played with great fluency. And if he gets a bad ball, he he's in the, the kind of form that he puts it away. So he, he plays with flair. Some of those shots flicks up the pads on the leg side were shot to the man in form. Um, I always admire anyone who can, hit a flick off the pads for six, especially in a test match. Stunning so shot. He, 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 you're right. He, he looks in the form of his life, really. And I think South Africa needs some really, really good plans to almost 
counteract the the force that he's throwing against them. And at the minute, they just don't have them. Yeah, well, I mean, springboarding off that point, that was sort of next thing I was going to come to. We've talked about the Aussies and how great it's been, but at some point you've got to look at um, at the Proteas and the performance they put in, um, particularly in the field. This is something we've seen all summer and going back summers, uh, touring teams, even England, the Ashes, they do not have uh, strategies or they do have strategies uh, for each individual batter and they're just not enforcing them well at all. Uh, you mentioned too wide um, and, and just wayward sort of short bowling and, and, and not really following plans and not really being consistent. I totally agree. And in addition to that, I thought, especially the period where Smith and Warner just looked comfortable, it was over a session, I think, all up, um, where they were just sort of ticking it along. It's almost, oh, we'll set a sort of half, a, a quite defensive field, too much short bowling, almost waiting for the batsman to make a mistake. And when you've got world-class batters, and we've seen, you know, everyone in Australia's batting lineup uh, can make a big score and has good technique, you know, Warner, Labuschagne, Smith, Head, uh, they're not going to just make a mistake very often yeah there'll be the odd one smith went out but they could be on 100 by then i really don't see how that's the way you're going to win a test series or even win a test match i mean look at the situation of this one look what happened last test they're not going to win a game by setting a defensive field and waiting for the australian batsman to make a mistake sure they got it and you mentioned you know they may as well switch on ricky ponting and, and sean pollock or whoever got seven have got on at the moment listen to what they've got to say because they know the game and um, you know, whether or not it's what the coaching staff are saying, I doubt it would be. I think it's more just a lack of execution um, from the South African bowling lineup. It's not as, I mean, yes, the conditions were hot. You've got to accept um, that. I mean, you look at the Rabada 18 overs, one for 94, and Gidi 15 overs, number 62, um, went off with an injury. Janssen, number 56 off 16, uh, Norkia, one for 15 off, off 16, and Maharaj, uh, the spin of 25.5 and none for 107. I mean, these are, yes. That's a, that's a big workload, a lot of overs in the heat, perhaps. And again, we take that into account, but overall you just have to say that they um, haven't been performing well enough tactically. And additionally to that, you probably have to put some of that on, well, a lot of that on Dean Elgar and the coaching staff. Yeah, a lot a lot of that does go on to the captain and coaches, as you mentioned. Uh, I think the South African attack, they had a pretty, pretty at least the bowling attack, a pretty good test. In Brisbane, and but today's been a, a massive failure. I think Norkia's been good. He bowled with energy, and he, even against David Warner, I almost felt that he was more likely to get a wicket than not. And, and he at least has some good plans personally about how he's going to dismiss the batsman. Janssen as, as well, I, I think, bowled well with a good line, and, and it, it does seem to me that that he's got a plan going, but. The other three, Rabada and Gidi and Maharaj, I thought were really, really poor, big letdowns today. Not only did they bowl erratically and loosely, um, all going at above four and over, but uh, you just sort of struggle to see how they'll, they'll actually take a wicket when they're bowling. Um, I think you you really need, especially with Norkea, who bowls in, in short spells, pretty high octane stuff, you need at least someone, if you're going for runs, to at least hold up an end. Um, and you're right, there was a distinct lack of clarity with their plans and a lack of execution as well. So for an attack that's supposedly world-class and who showed signs of promise after Australia were four down, chasing only 36 last tests, today's been a, a massive letdown. I mean, the, their batting is poor, but even with this attack, Australia shouldn't be able to hit three for 386. Um, and 
almost chance of three for 386 as well. So I think there's there's major questions to be asked all around here, captains, the bowling attack and the coaching staff, because, mm-hmm. yeah, it quite simply wasn't good enough for the bulk of their attack. Yeah, and I, I'm sure you guys have been mentioning this, but I think I say it every time I come on, we're getting the same similar pattern. We've seen it with uh, West Indies touring, Pakistan when they tour, New Zealand, really anybody in England that isn't India in recent times. The golf, whether it's golf in talent, the golf in tactics, the golf in their ability to play the conditions is so wide, particularly both bowling and batting, particularly with you look how cohesive the Australian bowling lineup is, tactics and, and the consistency, even when bowling comes in to replace Hazelwood, even when Nisa comes in, it doesn't matter which four they have out there, or three pacement and line, they're always able to bowl to a plan. They're always able to stick out. They set, you know, aggressive fields. Um, uh, and then they take 20 wickets. And that's what it takes to win a test match. And we just aren't seeing that at all often enough from touring sides. Um, just some other bits and pieces throughout the day. Um, Frabs, um, some humorous things. I mean, you know, I think there's 40 odd thousand there. Pretty good crowd for a 37 degree day. Um, and it can be pretty hot there in the sun. I'm sure they had enough um, alcoholic consumption to keep them going. And uh, the Rowdy Bay 13 got to see some Merv Hughes reenactment with um, Dehisa Rabada doing his uh, warm-up stretches before he went on to, to um, bowl. That's always good to get a bit of crowd involvement there uh, on a hot day. And then on a really, I think, a more sad note, more than anything, um, the uh, Fox News Skycam. It's a development that's come into cricket in the past 10 or 15 years. Started over in America with their sports, having that camera on the wires. Um in between overs, inexplicably, inexplicably, excuse me, colliding um, with with Nokia uh, as he just kind of was you know, harmlessly walking in between overs and saw people might laugh it off. Um, and I think he spoke after the game that he didn't think it was appropriate that it would fly at the the level, the level, like head level um, where the players are. Perhaps that just seems a bit um, unnecessary just for a good shot for TV, surely. Yeah. It's- it's a strange situation and a hard one, really, because that camera is focusing on the wicket and they wouldn't have had any idea pretty much that Nokia was there. And obviously, just having finished his own over, he's oblivious to it. But I, I was surprised watching that clip of the actual speed that the camera was flying at. I mean, that hit him with a, at a quite decent pace and, and he was toppled by it. So I, I think given that the camera isn't even focusing on where it's actually going, it's inexplicable the fact that that's flying at a height that might hit the players. Um, and I'd, I'd hope that change is made after this in- incident because it is quite foreseeable that something like that happens again. And, you know, thankfully there was no injury and Nokia is a, um, a well, well-built player. Um, but th- that was quite quite a collision, um, particularly con- considering the pace that, that, that hit him at and without him expecting it. Yeah, absolutely. We've certainly got to step up in technology since I remember back in the day, you used to have a cameraman who had who would stand on sort of like a two-wheeled little platform and roll around and um, and take the footage that way. And I remember one time, I think it was an Ashes test, he actually fell over because he collided with the keeper's helmet, which is kept back when he's keeping back from the stump. So that was, that was humorous at the time, but now it's very different when you've got, as you say, moving at a ridiculous rate and colliding with the head or the back of a player. It's... Um, going to cause some serious damage um i guess looking ahead perhaps the only other two things i picked up with some you know me i love the stats two good stats warner um first of all he's the first player to score three test match tons at each of the adelaide oval the gabba the mcg scg and the waca ground so that's the major five test venues no one else has scored three tons it's a bit of a cherry pick stat but um i guess you know something he'd be proud of he's had success at every um ground in australia and he managed to bring up his eight thousand eight thousand test 
match run. He averages nearly 47 and his 17,000th international run in international um, cricket. So that's pretty an admirable career for someone who started off as the swashbuckling um, T20 player, broke onto the test match scene and over a decade later, um, he's still out there perhaps making runs for Australia, um, one of our best. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a quite quite the career really. I mean, it's to think about modern day, how many players really excel in every format and would be considered world-class. The, the list is continually getting shorter, but I think David Warner shown with his ability to you know, hit test double hundreds and triple hundreds and also get player of the tournament in the T20 World Cup. It, um, it was pretty close to the most runs in the recent ODI World Cup. So one of the best across all formats and it's been an extended career particularly known for his home record, which has been exceptional. As you mentioned, three, at least three test hundreds in at the, the five big Australian grounds. So certainly one of the best players in Australian conditions. And as an opener with his style has really made some changes, I guess, to how test cricket's played. I think we'll all remember that um, century and on the first session of the day with this high strike rate play, um, and a lovely range of shots, particularly through the covers. It is certainly an, a pivotal player on Australia's side over the years. And you know, it, it's good to see that, I guess, it's still going and he can go out on his own terms and he won't be forced out of the side, at least yet, due to form. Mm. Oh, he'd love to have a big series in England uh, next well, winter or summer over there. Really, the crowd got stuck into him. He did not have a good series. He really wants to go out there and get another... Um, or win um, for the Aussies. I'll tell you what, we had some great left-handed openers. We, we take um, for granted how good overall our openers have been for Australia in the past 30, 40 years, um, but they're, they're always entertaining to watch him. You know, um, Hayden, uh, Mark Taylor, and then right-hander Slater, Langer. We've had some great opening batsmen, um, and hopefully he's here for a few more um, few more years to come. Rightio, so last thing, perhaps looking ahead, what are we looking at tomorrow uh, and a prediction? Where are we at the close of play on day three? It'll be an interesting one because we don't we don't know how likely Warner and Green are to come back in. If they do remain retired hurt, then South Africa are only one wicket away from the bowlers, which will be interesting. Uh, I think, as you mentioned, Australia won't want to bat again on this wicket. So they'll try and push that lead above 300. It's currently at 197. So I'd say Australia try and push their score upwards of 500, maybe even up, up to 600 if possible. Um, it will be quite the effort, but I, I think you can almost expect if one of Warner or Green comes back in, then that, that score should be up there. Um, of course, South Africa have struggled to clear 200 in recent times. So I, I'd expect Australia to try and bat the bulk of the day tomorrow. There might be some rain, but it, sh- it shouldn't play a major part. And South Africa will probably bat maybe in the the later hours or maybe towards the middle of the day as well. Um, and given how they've really gone across the, the series so far, maybe we'll say that they're, they're four down at, at stumps. Yeah, echoing my thoughts exactly. I've got them, say, four for 100 at stumps with Australia making close to 550. I was going to say I really was hoping that we might get a 10th wicket partnership between Green and Warner that might actually have a chance at legs, but I don't think that's very likely because if one of them is... Um, uh, fit back and correct me if I'm wrong here they are allowed, are allowed to bring them back in before 
uh, the bowl the bowlers. So that they they probably wouldn't be a likely scenario where we're actually having those two come in back in at ten and eleven, and then the possibility um, for even more um, toil in the field. Um, the South Africans, but yes, that is all we've got time for. So that is our day two recap of the uh, Boxing Day test. Teddy will be back here, I'm sure, tomorrow and probably with Crabs for a day three recap. Australia, once again, in a dominant position, three for 386, a lead of 197 runs with seven, seven wickets remaining. Enjoy the day's play tomorrow and we'll see you tomorrow night. Bye for now.